Lord, you have uh, been talking to us about a kingdom culture. And part of that is a culture of awe, of reverence, of holy fear of you. Today, as we stand before you, you who are the eternal word, you who have the double-edged sword which comes from your mouth, which cuts and penetrates and lays bare the very marrow of our bones. We invite you today, living word, to come and speak to us through the servant Lord God who you have entrusted this message to. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give clarity to Andrew as he speaks, that you would speak with power and anointing through him, and that, Lord, you would prepare the soil of our hearts to receive that which you desire to speak into us today. Give us ears to hear, Lord, today. Your word, we pray. Oh, Jesus, we love you. He is very present with us. I just want to add my welcome. I'm Pastor Jim Olson, sort of here as the senior pastor at Bethel Christian Fellowship. And this morning, we are delighted to welcome back to our pulpit after a, uh, a sabbatical interlude of uh, about a year and a half, I think, since you preached. So um, Andrew Gross is one of the elders here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. Had his sabbatical year this past year and recently completed his Master of Divinity work at uh, Bethel Seminary. And um, he uh, has a word for us this morning that the Lord has put in his heart. And uh, it's just a wonderful uh, opportunity for him to bring the word, for us to receive the word, and also for us to mark yet another threshold in his life. Because as of yesterday, Andrew has achieved officially something. 40 years old. So, happy birthday, Andrew. And was it yesterday? Yesterday. All right. So, if you would join me in welcoming uh, our friend, our brother, who's been a part of this congregation for just about 20 years now, let's welcome Andrew to our pulpit. My name is Andrew Gross, and you did hear that last name correctly. Uh, it is gross, as in disgusting. We get, you know, yeah, lar that's right, German for great, yeah. Uh, that's how I like to think of it. Uh, I've been on uh, a sabbatical for uh, uh, a year, and then church gave me a little extra time to wrap up some graduate studies. So uh, those of you uh, who do know me, that's why you haven't heard me up here for a while. And those of you who don't know me, uh, that's, that's who I am. Andrew Gross. I'm, my official capacity here is, uh, is an elder, so uh, in that capacity, uh, I am uh, bringing today's message. Uh, today, I want to add an exclamation point onto the sermon series we've just had. Uh, I know all of you have been paying just loads of attention over the last couple months. A anybody, anybody? Shout out the name of the sermon series of the, the last couple months here. Kingdom Culture. Very good. Wow. You guys are, you guys are sharp. Kingdom Culture. 
And I want to just add uh, an exclamation point onto that. I don't really have anything new to say about that, but uh, the, the reason I want to add an exclamation point is that you know this uh, um, th this this sermon series is probably one of the most important sermon series that we've had in 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 a in a long time. Now that's not to diminish the value of any of the other messages and sermons in the last uh, several years, uh, but there is something different about about this one, and I I, I think big difference is that it's not the sermon series we just had wasn't just about our individual relationships with God that's very important but it wasn't just about that this sermon series was about our community and our community's relationship with one another and with God and so it's it's been an incredibly value valuable sermon series and and, and I, I really hope you were listening and, uh, and 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 I, it's it's really easy to access online, and it made it easier than ever. So, you just go to our website. Uh, it's really easy to find uh, the messages. So, uh, if you need to review them, hear them again. If you missed a few, uh, go go back to them. They they're they're incredibly incredibly valuable, important. I I really hope you were you were listening. Um, I want to talk a little bit about why it's so important that we spent a summer talking about our community life, talking about our, our, our life, uh, life together. Why, why was that so, so critical? Um, all right, see there's a glass of water here. Is this for me or was this from last time I was here? Okay, all right, good. You, know, you never know, you never know. Who's, who's changing that, those, that water there? Well, it is really critical that we understand God's intention for our life together because uh, if you want to start up the, the PowerPoint here, um, you know, uh, Bethel Christian Fellowship, do I have to do anything to make it? Ooh, what's that? All right. It's even faster than a year and a half ago. <clears throat> um, you know, uh, Bethel Christian Fellowship, we're actually on the verge and, and uh, you could even say have already broken into, broken more deeply into our calling. And, and, and that's why it's so critical that we get our minds around, get our hearts around this idea of our life together, of our community. I uh, want to review for just a minute here what our call is. We're called to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. I, I hope the image of that kind of sinks into you. I, I, I get the image when I think of that, you know, people walking by our, you know, along the street and there's this light like just pouring out of the building. Uh, I, when, when we're together, doing things together, not just worshiping on Sunday morning, but when we're doing ministry together, when we're doing anything together, God's life and joy is supposed to be shining out of us, pouring out of us, and touching the world around us. Like, touching it. What I mean by that is God's life and joy, what we're called to do is be connected with each other and be connected with God in such a way that, that people who up till now haven't been able to feel God 
can feel God. That people who haven't been able to see God can see God. That people who haven't been able to experience or interact with God or have faith in God, for them, God becomes real, palpable, feelable, because they're seeing our community life. They're, they're seeing us interact with each other. They're seeing how we behave towards one another. And that is revealing God to them. Um, you know, I, I, this, this idea of God touching the world, God feeling, uh, God being felt by the world, the world feeling God. You know, we, we talked about this in this passage that we've been going over again and again and again all summer. This is a description, one of many descriptions in the Bible about when people felt touched by God. Though, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God was becoming a reality, and actually an experienced reality to the people uh, around the early church in the book of Acts. So much so that they, they were coming in in droves, hundreds at a time, thousands at a time. How, what do I have to do to be saved? How, how do I become right with God? How do I get connected with God's community? Um, and, and, you know, this idea of, of God touching the world through us, that, that is a tall order, isn't it? I, I don't know about you. It makes me tremble. Uh, it makes me fearful, this idea that God wants to use me, use us, to touch the world. And the, the question, I guess, is how? How, how does God do that? Well, you see, the reason this series we've just been over, been going through, why it's so important, is because this series is a roadmap. It's a literal roadmap for us for how God is going to touch the world through us. And even if, if you've been around Bethel Christian Fellowship for any length of time, and you've observed, you'll notice the most powerful touches of God through us have come from our, the kingdom culture in our midst. They, they have come. I've, I've, I've been observing Bethel Christian Fellowship for, for, for 20 years, and one of the remarkable things I've noticed is that when there is a move of God that reaches out and touches others, it's because the people inside the community are interacting with each other according to that kingdom culture. So this kingdom culture is a road map. Let's just briefly remind ourselves, you're better with paper or your own uh, device. Uh, open up to uh, Acts or click on to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 again. Probably a lot of you have this memorized. We've gone over it so many times this summer. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Starting with 42. <clears throat> and, 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 and just spend some time imagining this description of the kingdom culture, the community life. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the roadmap. This is the roadmap for how we're going to have an impact, how, how God is going to become real and felt and experienced by those around us. And so this summer, we've gone <clears throat> over these elements. There's, there's been a, a different sermon each week pulling out a different characteristic of this kingdom culture. Living truth, koinonia, old Greek word for fellowship, covenant, de- dependence, awe, generosity, joy, multiplication. These, this, list of, this list of qualities, this is, this is the roadmap. You see, the more Bethel Christian Fellowship, the more we as a community, our culture, our community resembles these characteristics, the greater we will walk, the more, the more fully we will walk in our destiny and calling to radiate light, God's life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. All right? Simple logic right there. And, and, and it all comes down to this truth here that I want to focus on today. God is palpable and tangible. God is palpable and tangible. That means he can be felt to the world when our community life demonstrates his loving nature. God is palpable and tangible. He is palpable and tangible when our community life demonstrates his loving loving nature. What, What that means is it's not impressive individuals that God mainly uses to bring people into the kingdom. I I don't say God doesn't use impressive individuals, but primarily he doesn't bring people into the kingdom because someone has, has met an individual Christian who just blows them away with how holy she is, how righteous she is, how amazing she is. That's, that's usually not God's chosen method of bringing people into the kingdom. It might be one of the, seed, one of the instruments God uses to plant a seed, but the thing that usually pushes people over into conversion, into following Jesus, into saying yes to God, into bowing their knee to God, it is almost always the community life the community life of God's people. So when people, when the world peek inside Bethel Christian Fellowship, when they open it up, peek inside, not just how shiny our walls are on the outside, but when they look inside and they see us interacting with each other, that's typically when God becomes real to people. Um, 
It's, it's the behind-the-scenes activity of a church that is the real instrument in God's hands for creating impact. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful if someone walks in our doors and the greeters are really nice, and we have fabulous greeters, by the way, but, you know, they shake their hands, smile, and people think, oh, they're so nice. But then they, let's say they walk back into the kitchen to get a drink of water or find something, and, and, and the, the people who have been setting up for the, the lunch or whatever are bickering with each other and arguing, and they're stressed out, and they're frustrated with each other, and they're pointing the finger, and you forgot this, and... Okay? You know, I, and I, I hate to say this, but in America, we've got tons of churches that do a great job of making a bright, shiny, sleek outside to their building, to their surface. They've branded themselves perfectly in there. All their materials are in order, easy to read, uh, beautiful, looks like a total professional job. But their inner life, the inner life of their community is, is a mess. And I don't mean mess like messy. A good, healthy community is messy. I mean there's, there's jealousy, there's backbiting, there's power grabs, there's manipulation, there's control, there's exploitation. So it's the behind-the-scenes inner life that makes the difference. And, and if, if you don't believe me, you know, just look again at, at the connection. The last line, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That word and there, you know, that, that's a, that's, that touch from God is directly coming out of what we just read about, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. That inner life of their community is what's radiating out, and it's, it's the instrument God uses to bring them into the kingdom. All that to say, I hope you've been listening. hope you've been listening. So, if anyone's like me, Eight different words is even a little much for my brain uh, if, if I'm thinking about, you know, awe and multiplication and covenant, and then there's that crazy Greek word, koinonia, all those words together to describe a kingdom culture. It's tough for someone like me to keep that all in my memory. So I, I was wondering today, if, if I'm going to add an exclamation point to this series, how, how do I, is there a single word? single word that I could, I could sum it all up in? Is there a single word that sort of describes everything we've been talking about over the, the whole summer? So I, I may not have picked the perfect word, uh, but word I was thinking about, and, and, I, and I thought, you know, as we launch into our, our next season, uh, and there's going to be a whole new sermon series, there's gonna, some amazing things are going to happen this, this fall, uh, with our out-of-the-box conference and out-of-box series. And uh, as, as we're launching into that, how are we going to retain what we learned this summer? And so single word I, I came up with, hopefully derived from the Holy Spirit, is the word treasure. Treasure. Oh, why did I choose that word? Why did I choose the word treasure? I, I, may, I mean the word treasure as the verb. To treasure, to treasure something, okay, to treasure something. And it, it's basically just 
repackaging God's second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Uh, so there's nothing new or innovative about, about the word, about the concept, uh, just a repackaging of that. But it, it's a single word, so it helps people like me. <clears throat> and I, I, um, I, I want to unpack this a little bit, this idea of a kingdom culture of treasuring one another, a kingdom culture of treasuring one another. So, so let's, let's think for a minute, what happens when we treasure? When we treasure something, what happens? I, I'd, I'd like everyone to just take half a second and think about a thing you treasure. Okay, something, I, it could be anything. It could be a, as big as a house or a car. It could be as small as a little diamond ring. I, I don't know. Something you, you treasure. What, what, what is it? Uh, well, one, one thing about treasuring is we take, we take measures to preserve and protect our treasures, don't we? we? We actually go out of our way to preserve and protect our treasures. In other words, we actually will inconvenience ourselves and even sacrifice something and even be willing to pay a cost to preserve and protect our treasures, don't, don't we, right? You guys are, are with me on that? Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, spending the money to, to, to buy a safe deposit box or whether it is um, spending extra money to, to uh, uh, you know, put up a, a security system around our car or around our house or what, what, whatever it might be, we actually make sacrifices and, and pay costs pay a price to preserve and protect our treasures. Um, and, 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 you know, we often feel some anxiety around the safety and welfare of our treasures, right? Uh, uh, just recently, I, I got a, a nice watch from my brothers. They gave me it as a birthday present, first one I've had in, I don't know, a decade or something. And uh, and very glad to get it. Uh, I spent... Um, there, there was a day I misplaced it and I couldn't find it, and I was sort of, I, I, anxiety was rising up within me, and I was I was starting to search everywhere and and, and look it, it through things, and you know started worrying. Did I did it? Was it stolen? Did I lose it? Did I what what happened to it? All right. Now I'm not saying anxiety itself is a good thing, but the fact that I was anxious is an indication that there was some treasuring going on. Right? Okay. So when, when uh, if, if you ever wonder what are your treasures, th- think about what makes you the most anxious or the thought of losing something, what, what makes you the most anxious when you, when you think about losing it. That's a good indication that that's a, that's a treasure. That's something you, you treasure um, because you want to preserve and protect it. All right, and another thing we do with our treasures, we usually have an irrational affection that, be go- that goes beyond mere utility. What do I mean by that? Utility is just a fancy way of saying usefulness. So something is important to us m- for reasons more than its usefulness. So something might be uh, so, a yeah, little example here of what, I, what I'm trying to say. For me, a car is, uh, I don't really 
care much about cars at all. It's a thing to get me from one place to another more quickly than walking or biking. I just, amen, that's right, yeah. Um, now, I have a neighbor who has um, about the most elaborate security device I've ever seen, such that if you even get close to the car, the alarms go off. And this neighbor's go alarms are going off pretty irregularly. So birds fly by, acorns drop on it, the squirrels come. So they've toned it down a little bit in recent years. But, but for this neighbor, this car, is its importance, its value is bigger than its mere utility. You guys following along with me? It's that car is there's some treasuring going on because that car, the loss of it is producing, the fear of losing it is producing some anxiety and it's, it's more important than just the thing to get him from one place to another, okay? Um, so uh, another, another way to say this is you, you can't reduce the value of a treasure to just its usefulness. You can't say it's important because it does this for me or it does that for me, okay? Usually a treasure, you can't even fully explain what it does for you, but it's doing something for you more than just your needs, okay? So how does this get into what I want to talk about? I want to ask us this question. What if we treasured people. What if we took measures to preserve and protect the welfare and safety of one another such that it actually cost us something? such that it, we actually had to sacrifice for other people's safety and welfare. What if we, like we do with our physical treasures, our things, what if we actually inconvenienced ourselves and readjusted ourselves, even in a way that made us uncomfortable at times, for the safety and welfare of other people. What if we treasured people? The, the other thing I, I said about treasures, it, sometimes we have an irrational affection for our treasures uh, beyond their mere utility. What if we had an irrational affection for one another beyond what other people do for us? What if they were more important to us than just their contribution that we can see and touch and feel? What if Sister Sally, please forgive me if anyone's name here is Sally, what if Sister Sally was valuable to, this, to the life of this congregation and this body, not because Sally had some very tangible gifts to bring. She's great at cleaning up the dishes. She's great at teaching Sunday school. She's 
She's uh, has a, uh, a generous spirit with her with her pocketbook. She, um, you know, we could list all these these very clear ways that she's contributing to us. What if that's not the reason why Sally is valuable to this congregation? What if she were more than that? Instead of a two-dimensional contribution to our life together, what if Sally were a multi-dimensional, utterly complex, mysterious being that none of us can get to the bottom of, and, and she was value, valuable to us just because she existed. Just because she was here. Maybe she couldn't even be here. Maybe she's shut up in her home. And she's still valuable to us. What if we treasured people? What if we didn't reduce each other's importance and value to just what they can do for us, just what they can do for the congregation? What if each of us were a full, complex, indescribably complex, can't get to the bottom of kind of complex, full human being? It would be amazing if community life were characterized by that sort of mutual treasuring. And, you know, the the book of Acts that we've been reading about, the reason they could behave that way towards each other, um, sell everything they have and give to each other, make sure there was no needy person among them, um, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, the reason they could behave that way because they treasured each other. The mutual treasuring of one another was at the heart of what they were all about. Now, you you know what the ultimate test of treasuring? You might say, hey, Andrew, I've got this treasuring down. I'm doing it really well. No problems. The ultimate test is when you encounter the least of these. The least of these. It's a phrase Jesus used, probably familiar with it. Now, the least of these could be all kinds of people. It's generally speaking of the powerless, the vulnerable, the weak, uh, the people without status in class, the people without means. Um, it, you know, it can be children. It can be disabled. It can be the impoverished. It can be people recovering from abuse or people recovering from addiction. Often people recovering from addiction are in ex- they're extremely vulnerable. And for a season, they are the least of these. Uh, it, it could, it basically could be anybody who is emotionally, mentally, or physically weaker than you. In, or, or even someone who's weaker than you in their status in society. 
uh, it could be somebody from a different culture. Uh, now, the person from another culture might not necessarily be the least of these in their own culture, but the fact is when they come into a different culture, a new culture, where they're not in the dominant culture, that, that person coming from the outside is, is a fish out of water. And for a season, that person is the least of these. And, you know, frankly, and here's, here's where the test gets really, really sharp for me. The least of these could be just a really annoying person. Somebody who irritates you and rubs you the wrong way. Y'all know what I mean. A few, few people are honest and shaking their head, or nodding their heads, yep. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I know I'm, I'm that for some of you, but that's okay. Don't say anything, kids, my kids. Don't say anything. <clears throat> um, and, you know, the least of these, it's a lot easier to ignore or not even see their contributions. When somebody who is disabled or mentally ill or maybe a child or so, someone in some way, they have less power and status and ability and means than the dominant culture. When they enter into a community, frequently we can't see their usefulness or contribution. Well, they can't even get up and clean the dishes that need to get cleaned after that potluck. Well, they can't even, they can't even watch the kids because, uh, you know, whatever they're struggling with, well, they, they can't even speak the language that the rest of us are speaking. How can they contribute anything? So frequently, the least of these, we can't see their contribution, and it makes it so much easier to ignore them, to forget about them, to sideline them, to think they don't matter in a community. And, and that's why I say that the real test the real test of whether or not we're treasuring one another is are we treasuring the least of these? Are the people who come in here with disabilities, are they valuable to us just because they are and they exist? Or are they valuable to us because they can do something for us? They, we, they improve our lives in some measurable way. Our, pe our children who are part of this congregation, are they valuable to us just because they're alive? Or are they valuable to us because, hey, we can get them to do something for us? Are we treasuring the least of these? Are we treasuring the annoying, irritating people among us? Are we treasuring them just because they exist? Or do we perceive them as a, as a roadblock to our happiness in the community? Yeah, I would have loved that potluck the other night. Yeah, I would have loved that service the other night if so-and-so hadn't sat next to me. You know, the, the least of these forces us it forces us in a way that really capable, high-functioning people don't force us to do. The least of these force us to look past 
apparent contribution or lack of, a, of contribution and see the full humanity, the full complex, can't get to the bottom of it, mysteriousness of another's humanity. And, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it blesses us ultimately, and guys, irritating people ultimately bless us because it forces us to stop identifying people by their usefulness, stop seeing people as significant because of their usefulness. Now, this idea of treasuring one another, tall order, a really tall order. Like I said, when we're characterized, our community life together is characterized by treasuring one another, that's, that's when God's life and joy is going to radiate out of us. It's going to leak out of us, ooze out of us, and God is going to become real and palpable and touchable through us. Um, it's, it's a tall order. And, and how, how do we do this? How? How does it work? Well, I would say we need supernatural help. And the solution that I'm going to say is going to sound a little, a little weird. It's, it's not going to come by finding the person who irritates you the most and then and trying to go through a checklist of all the reasons they're actually really good. I mean, that's actually a good exercise, by the way, to do something like that. If, if you're really struggling with somebody, that, go, go do that. That's really good. But ultimately, that's not the thing that's going to change our heart into a different kind of position where we're treasuring one another. Just going through a checklist of all the reasons why someone is actually really good and valuable. Because what that does is it still reduces people down to just their usefulness. Say, yeah, so-and-so's really annoying to me, but, well, they, um, you know, they, they do make good brownies, and they, they do, um, let's see, one time they did, uh, they smiled at me. That was nice. Um, so, so the checklist of all the person's positive contributions, go ahead and do it, but that's not ultimately what's going to change our heart. The solution to get God's supernatural help on this, the solution is to treasure Jesus. It is to look at Jesus, to gaze on Jesus, and to find him treasure-worthy. When you start really focusing on Jesus, and not just the Jesus of your own box, like only the one who's nice to me when nobody else is. That's, that's good. But also the Jesus who's firm and corrects us. But not just the Jesus who disciplines, the Jesus who sweeps down and sweeps us up in his arms and holds us tightly to his chest when we're utterly broken, and the Jesus who pursues us even when we're not pursuing him. When we see the Jesus who reached out and touched the untouchables, who touched lepers who couldn't be touched by anybody or they would, they would 
basically poison the people who accidentally touched them so that those people could never participate in community life again. The Jesus who actually raised up a, a, a woman caught in adultery and said, I don't condemn you either. The, 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 the Jesus who, I, I could go on and on. Th- think about everything you know about Jesus and gaze into his face, the full spectrum of, of what makes him beautiful. The, the, the firm, strong Jesus, the Jesus who, who rises up and fights off your enemies for you when you don't even know you're being attacked by enemies. The, the Jesus who takes, picks you up in his arms and carries you when you don't even know you're being carried. When you fix your eyes on Jesus and when you treasure him, guess what happens? His commands, and in this case, the command to love one another as much as you love yourself. His command becomes beautiful to us. His command becomes treasure worthy to us when we treasure him. When we see, when we gaze upon the treasure-worthy one, everything he's told us to do goes from being repulsive to being attractive. When, when we gaze on him, everything that kind of made us go, oh, I, told, I, I, just, I don't want a part of that. If following Jesus means liking so-and-so, eh, I don't want to do it. That part of us that reacts that way, and let's just be honest, we all have that reaction, even if we're smiling and nice on the outside, okay? <clears throat> we go from feeling that way to actually liking Jesus' command to love one another, to actually finding it beautiful, to actually seeing it as worthy and, and worthy of our own sacrifice and cost to ourselves when we treasure Jesus. So that is the key. That is, that is the way. If you, if you need access to that supernatural help of treasuring one another, the solution is to treasure Jesus. <clears throat> um, so in conclusion, to wrap it all up, the world will feel the touch of God as it sees us practicing the kingdom culture of treasuring one another. That is when the life and joy of God is going to pour out through us, and God will be real and feelable to the world. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew so good to hear your voice again and to hear the voice of the Lord speaking to us this morning. We're going to respond um, this morning to the word of the Lord. Um, The the song of response here is um, is Lord you are more precious than silver Lord, you are more costly than gold. Very simple old chorus, but uh, simple in words, simple to sing, but uh, difficult 
to have as a reality. And we're going to ask the Lord to make that a reality in us. So we're going to open up the altar. And if the Lord has spoken to you this morning and you realize that um, there's some work that he wants to do, some internal shifting in you to get to that place of treasuring first him and then through him one another just can invite you to to come to this altar and there's no shame in that at all it's i think (laughs) some ways we all need to be here but maybe specifically this morning the lord's just touching you about some particular situation person area way that he wants to stretch you it's a good word, Andrew. Thank you. It's so relevant to where we are as a congregation right now. Can we stand together? Lord, I just want to ask right now that, Jesus, you would take the word that we have heard and begin to work it deep into our spirit. Lord Jesus, that will become more than simply good information, but that it will be transformation, God. That you will do an impartation even right now. Thank you, God that you are in the business of imparting truth that brings that transformation. So we pray, God, that you would go to the deep places of our souls. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Do that now. To purchase that opportunity. And God, Lord, help us to sacrifice, to submit ourselves, to surrender fully and to walk in, Lord Jesus into with you that place of treasuring those around us and now i pray that you might be filled afresh this day with the immeasurable love of god the father with the irresistible mercy and grace of jesus christ the son with the inexhaustible strength power comfort and hope of the holy spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours I pray that the banner of his goodness and favor will be upon and over your life. And that together we might radiate life and joy as we are sent to make disciples of all nations. For his house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Go in the goodness and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ now until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home. I bless you, people of God, in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen.